Hey, what's up, Cornerstone community? It's Gary, as PT said. I am so thankful to be with you. I am so thankful for who you are as a church, and I'm honored today to break open the Word and jump into this series that I love, Living the Word. Uh, I want you to know I am so grateful for your pastor. I consider him a close friend and I am thankful. I'm a better man because of who he is. We do an annual conference together and uh, it is a highlight of my year, frankly, to be able to room with him and catch up and hear his heart, see his love for you. And it's just delightful. Um, So with that said, we're going to dig into the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take your word and do a work in our lives. We're not here to have our preconceived notions affirmed. We're here to make much of you and to align our lives with who you are. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was um, preparing for this and a thing came to mind to me, a concept called a paradigm shift. Now, I know we've heard of that a lot, but uh, let me define paradigm shift for you. It says in Wikipedia, paradigm shift is a fundamental change in approach or in underlying assumptions. A fundamental change in an approach or in underlying assumptions. You know, I was trying to think as I sat in that of different paradigm shifts that happened in my lifetime And then I thought, wait, I don't need to think at all. And I opened up ChatGPT and I asked the question, what are some paradigm shifts I have experienced in my lifetime? I'm 58 years old. And in one second, this is what came up. I'm not going to give you all of them, but it's interesting. It said there's several modern day examples of paradigm shifts across various fields. Here's some notable ones. The first thing it said was the paradigm shift in information technology and computing, going from mainframe computers to the personal computer changed everything. Second one was a paradigm shift of the development of the international worldwide web and the internet. And it said the emergence of the internet allowed to and, and transformed communication and allowed information to come right to your doorstep almost in real time. It went on to talk about the the development of smartphones and how that was a paradigm shift in a way people approach the world and each other, frankly, for good or bad. These examples illustrate, and it says at the end of the chat GPT, this is really interesting. These examples illustrate how new technologies and ideas can disrupt existing paradigms, leading to significant change and advancement in various fields. Now, I sat there and thought about that, and I thought, you know, as good as chat GPT is and as good as artificial intelligence is, they left out the most encompassing, transformative paradigm shift in my lifetime. It happened when I was 18 years old, and when Jesus Christ stepped into my life, it changed everything. He didn't step into my life because I was good. He rescued me out of some really bad, even as an 18-year-old. And to use the the illustration or the definition that ChatGPT said, when Jesus came into my life, it was the most extensive disruption of existing paradigms in my life. It led to significant changes. The ripple effect I'm still living into some 40 years later. Actually, I'm not here concerned about paradigm shifts. 
I'm here to talk this morning, though, about paradigm drift. And it's a huge challenge for followers of Christ. You know, when we come to Christ, everything is great and everything is magnificent and we can't get enough of him. But over time, the natural tendency, sadly, for too many followers of Christ is to go from a paradigm shift to a paradigm drift where we take our eyes off Christ or he's not all consuming or we have one eye on Christ and one eye on our circumstances. It's it's natural, right? And Again and again and again, we find ourselves having to come back to Christ when the paradigm drifts to go back to our paradigm shift. I actually want to do that for you this morning in this series, Living the Word. I actually want to be a a spiritual optometrist for you and ask you, how is your vision this morning? How is your all-consuming focus this morning? Is it divided? I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you. I would love to put before you a spiritual auto refractor. It looks like this. You know what auto refractors are, right? Those are those machines when you go to the optometrist and you go before him and you look at the the board and the letters and he says, does it look better this way? And then he shifts something or this way. And he, he focuses in on your best vision. Here's our auto refractor this morning. It's called the word of God. I like to go to a passage that I go to time and time again, almost on the daily, to serve as an auto-refractor when my paradigm drifts to get back to focus on Christ. Open your Bibles to Matthew 9, 35 to 38. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Here's what it says. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the kingdom of, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. From this passage, there's four questions I ask that align me to who Christ really was and what he was all about so that I can be like Jesus to the best of his ability. Here's the first question. Am I seeing what Jesus saw? I get that from verse 36. Let me read it again. It says, when he saw, and by the way, that word see is used throughout scripture. We'll see that in a minute. But it's more than looking at the surface. It's to look into. The word means a perception, to perceive. We can have this as well because uh, Paul talks about this in the book of Acts. We see this to depict an ability to have supernatural vision fueled by the Holy Spirit. It's not just seen on the surface, it's seen into. When Jesus saw the crowds, he looked into people. I actually believe he looked into history. He didn't just see what was going on in 30 AD. He saw what was going on in 1000 AD and in 2000 AD and 2023. Jesus saw into that and he saw, what did he see? He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. Let's unpack those words for a minute. He saw three things. He saw harassed. The word means to be in trouble or to be in distress. 
He saw helpless. That word means to be thrown down and to be kept down. Now, let me just dive a little bit deeper. And you can see this from the English. Both are passive, meaning there is some entity that's doing the harassing. What Jesus saw were crowds at the mercy of an overpowering enemy. And the tense implies the thoroughness, thoroughness of their oppression. It's relentless in nature. They're continually harassed. They're continually helpless. These people were utterly and perpetually discouraged. You ever had an experience like that? I've got five daughters. And a couple years ago, we were vacationing up in Tahoe Donner. And it was bingo night in Tahoe Donner. And so we were out with the crowds having bingo. And my then seven-year-old wandered away. And it was safe, you know. And she wanted to go play by the creek. And I could, it was behind some trees, but I could see that. And uh, within about 10 minutes, I hear this scream. And she comes running, crying. And in her tears, she says, Daddy, some boys were throwing rocks at me. And I couldn't get away. Man, I want you to know, when my daughter, who's really young, was at the mercy of the teenage boys who were just messing with her, throwing rocks, it did something for me. It broke my heart. I wanted to go extend the right hand of fellowship, if you know what I mean. She was harassed, and she was helpless. She was cornered, and luckily, it was just rocks on water that got her wet, but it, it put terror in her. Spiritually, I want you to know, this is definitive of every human being apart from Christ. Spiritually, this is what happens every day to people you and I lock eyes on. People all around the world who bear God's image. People he longs to be in relationship with. That's what Jesus saw and the disciples were oblivious to it. Who were they harassed from? If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. There is an evil arch enemy and all his minions that are harassing and keeping helpless our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. Do you see it? But I told you there's three things Jesus saw, harassed, helpless, and look at what he says in verse 37. This gives me so much help. He says this, the harvest is plentiful. He sees through the harassment, through the scars, through their pain, through their brokenness, through their rebellion, and he says, I see a harvest in you. You know, it's easy to let life demands and outward behavior and not looking into people, it's easy to allow that to eclipse our vision. And paradigm drift happens. And we lose hope over people based on their behavior or what they say. I have people that I lose hope over. It's easy to do. But when I get that auto refractor and I see them as God sees them, it changes everything. It changes everything. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you may see. And he talks about seeing God for who he is. I pray the eyes of our hope, 
heart would be open so we would see God for who he is and see people for who they are, harassed, helpless, deeply loved by God, bearing his image. You won't look at anyone today that doesn't bear God's image. You start praying, Jesus, let me see people as you do. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous prayer. It's been my habit for decades to pray that. And there are many times I don't see people like Jesus does. But there's so many times I do. And I, I got to tell you, it does something to you. Last weekend, uh, we were coming home. I was in a ballet. Okay, it's out there with my daughter. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I was Aslan in that, and we just had a ball doing it. My youngest daughter is 14, and we just had a ball. We were coming home. It was a long day. Um, we had done two different performances, three practices. I was exhausted, and my neighbor across the street when we drove home was just pacing. And this is a, I call him an EGR neighbor, extra grace, grace required. And uh, I won't go into the details. I would just tell you our worldviews, our paradigm uh, are completely different, okay? But as I was going into my house and I saw him, the Holy Spirit let me see him. He looked agitated. And he's been agitated before and it wasn't pretty. But this time the Holy Spirit said, go on over. And I've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit's nudge. And I walked across the street I'll call him Gary. I said, Gary, you all right? He looked at me and he said, I'm not all right. I just totaled my car. I said, oh, you're kidding. I'm so sorry. He goes, I don't know what to do. And then I kid you not, he just, he broke down crying. And I just held him on the street. My first thought was like, gosh, I hope no one drives by. Because <laughs> it was pretty awkward. But my second thought was, thank you, Lord. And I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. And he let me pray over him. We spent more time together. And it wasn't long. It was 20 minutes. I'm not a hero. But you know what? I walked away saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for letting me see him like you do. I saw through the broken behavior, through the crazy language, through the substances that he abuses. And I saw someone loved by God. And I don't know what God's going to do with that but I'm so thankful. That's living, seeing as Jesus saw. But it doesn't end there. There's a second question I ask, and it's this. Are we feeling what Jesus felt? Are we feeling what Jesus felt? There's a psychological term for when you get numb to the things around you. It's a term called habituation. Look it up. Uh, basically, the American Psychological Association defines it this way. Habituation is a decrease of response to a stimulus after repeated presentations. Uh, habituation happens when we grow accustomed to a situation or a stimulus, thereby diminishing the effects on you uh, or on your you know, proper response required. Now, listen, habituation can be useful. When I learned to drive, uh, thank God I had decreased response to things around me so I could focus on the road. But I'm concerned, and may we never habituate to stuff that God wants us to pay attention to. Part of the challenge of the modern world, frankly, as followers of Christ, we have uh, fatigue, especially after these last three years, and we have brokenness overload. We just get used to things that Jesus doesn't want us to get used to. 
I live in the Bay Area. And, you know, like I told, I didn't, I don't think I told you, I was born in the city. I'm a third generation San Franciscan. I don't live there anymore, but um, this is not the same city I, I grew up attending and seeing my grandparents in and aunts and uncles and what have you. It's easy to just become numb, really easy. Aren't you glad Jesus never became numb? Look what it says in verse 36 of Matthew 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. There's the word. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Literally in the original Greek language, maybe you know this, it's the word for the intestines or the bowels. It means to be so moved uh, emotionally, you have a physical reaction. And what's unique to this word in scripture the only time it's used in scripture when it comes to Jesus, someone's life is changed. It's different than pity. It's different than mercy even. And those are good words. But you can have pity on something and not do anything. You can't have biblical compassion and stay idle. In Matthew 14, verse 14, Jesus had compassion on 5,000 people and they were fed. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 41, Jesus had compassion on a leper and he touched him and healed him. In Luke 7, Jesus came across a memorial service, a funeral actually for a widow and her only son. He had compassion and raised that son from the dead. In Luke 15, verse 20, a father has compassion when he sees the dust on the horizon and realizes it's his son and he pulls up his cloak and runs to him. See, this is an important word. It's a holy dissonance that prompts us to get out of the pews and do something, something. It doesn't remedy the whole situation, but for one person, it might change their life. Are you feeling what Jesus felt? You know, I'm old enough to, uh, to grow up in cartoons. When Saturday morning was cartoon-filled, when we only had three stations on TV. Um, anyway, I digress. But one of my favorite part cartoons was Popeye. And there was always the same storyline in Popeye. He was, uh, he was always uh, competing for the affection of olive oil. And at some point, Brutus would be a bully to him and keep taunting him, taunting him. And some uh, brokenness and injustice would happen. And finally, Popeye would say, what? It's all I can stand, what? I can't stand no more. And he'd break open the spinach and become anatomically like really, really strange and then remedy the situation. Compassion is when you reach that Popeye moment and you say, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. Let me ask you a question. What injustice is out there spiritually or otherwise? Where you look around, you're like, I don't know why anyone else doesn't see this. I've got to do something. I remember when I first met Christ, it was my freshman year in college. Actually, Christ met me and rescued me. And I remember um, coming back from the weekend and where I met Christ and uh, I didn't go there. I didn't go into the weekend to go to church or anything. I went to a fraternity party, but I've been reading my Bible and Jesus just literally just said enough and pulled me out and uh, salvation came to me. It was beautiful. 
Uh, but I remember going to my fraternity weekly meeting that Monday night, 100 brothers, and they looked different. I wanted every guy in that room to have what I had. It was my compassion Popeye moment. And it got to the end of the meeting and I stopped the meeting. I, I remember saying, wait, wait, I got something to say. Something happened to me this weekend with Jesus. And he's not what you guys think. It's not what I used to think. He's so much better. And I want that for every single one of you. No one prompted me to do that. I didn't do that so God would love me. It was my, my heart was wrenched. My gut was wrenched. I wanted them to know Christ. You know, we have something, and, and for me, that's my compassion. I'm not perfect at this, but I long for people to know Jesus. When he stepped into my life, he brought gifts, gave me the gift of evangelism, and I now serve with an organization called Transforming the Bay with Christ, tbc.city, look it up. We're a city gospel network, but we happen to be all over the Bay Area encompassing um, 11 counties. And we're bringing something to the Bay Area called Explore God. Uh, right now, we've got some 150 churches and other parachurch organizations are jumping on. FCA, Crew, InterVarsity, Young Life, uh, different Christian high schools, and more churches can get involved in this. Again, if you go to tbc.city, the banner on top, you can learn about this. But we want to share the gospel. It's a series, and you're doing it, Cornerstone, for seven weeks, starting September 24th, the same message series at the same time with small groups and kids' curriculum, teenage curriculum, all focused on the great questions of life. Why? Because we long to infuse the Bay Area with good news, that there's a great God who loves you just as you are but loves you too much to keep you that way. And that there's a gospel, as it says in our passage, of the kingdom. There's a whole realm available to people forever with Jesus as king that's liberating. I'm so excited about it. See, when you have uh, eyes to see what Jesus saw and you feel what Jesus felt, you, I believe, will have a signature pain in your gut that's uniquely you, that God put you on the planet to remedy something. Well, I got to go a little bit quicker. Am I seeing what Jesus saw? Am I feeling what Jesus felt? The next question I ask from this passage to, to break my paradigm drift is this, am I praying the way Jesus prayed? Not just what Jesus prayed, but the way Jesus prayed. I don't invite you to do a prayer audit right now. Think about your prayers in the last week. Let's just use a week's time. If God answered all your prayers last week, whose life besides your own or people you love would be changed? Now, I don't say that to judge you or condemn you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. I say that to con bring conviction from the Holy Spirit are we just praying self-centered prayers? You want a paradigm shift? You know, if I'm sweating and I'm a little tired today and we're recording this early in the morning, it's because I've been around the world already. I started my day before the throne, my first appointment after pulling four shots of espresso is with Jesus. And then we went around the world. I was in Congo this morning where our fifth daughter is from. 
praying for brothers and sisters there. And then I went to the Oregon coast to a camp, a family camp we'll be at in the coming, uh, the end of the summer to pray for people coming to that camp. And then I went to Kentucky uh, where my fifth daughter, I'm sorry, my second daughter is getting married, praying for her city and praying for our time there. Uh, and then I went to Malawi where there's a mission field praying for the people of Malawi. Then I went to the future and prayed into generations I will never see on the planet. All over the Bay, I went to churches, to sisters and brothers and pastors and shepherds and congregations. That's why I'm tired, because that's what I get to do in prayer. We get to go around the world. We get to go into the future. It's amazing what prayer can do. And yet for so often, you're probably way different than me. So many of my prayers were centered on me. Even the Lord's Prayer, if you think about it, you're in a series called Living the Word. Think about this. The first three requests of the Lord's Prayer have nothing to do with me. It's hallowed be your name. God, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done. It's not about me. It's not about you. The adventure of prayer is to make it about Jesus. He said in Matthew 9, 38, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Am I praying the way Jesus prayed? That word ask is more than polite questioning. So much of my prayer life uh, up to a point used to be all about God. In essence, if you answer this, great. If you don't, great. Shooting darts and bullets up into the air. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. But this word prayer is not that. It, it's a unique word that looks more like a desperate woman or a desperate man coming to someone who can answer them. Uh, I'll show you where that word ask is used in other passages. In Luke 8, 28, it says of a demon, when he saw Jesus, he cried out. Same word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, a real famous passage, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Here's the word. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We don't have time to go through the whole scripture. It's a great study. That word in other places uh, is described screamed, begged, call out, plead. Does that represent your prayer life? Does it represent mine? Now there's grace for all of us, but if you want to live the word, it's going to show in our prayers. And then he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out, look at this, workers. Kingdom advancement is not for the faint of heart. One of the things I love about your church, Cornerstone, is you have workers, not just on staff, but workers in the pew workers in the body. You are the church, right? We are laborers and it's not for the faint of heart. Serving God and advancement of his kingdom is not just a walk in the park, especially here in the Bay Area. But we've been called to this. What an honor. What an honor to follow Jesus and labor with him. You know, there's a series of prayer initiatives that we're garnering for this Explore God initiative that's coming in the fall. Uh, but the one I want to really encourage you with is Pray the Bay. And you can look it up. Just Google Pray the Bay San Francisco. 
they, it's not me, they have an online daily prayer meeting five days a week at eight o'clock in the morning. And people from all over the Bay Area and the world are joining it, praying for God to move in the Bay Area. They're a prayer covering for Explore God. You want to learn how to pray? Be around people who know how to pray. It'll change your life. Well, there's four things. We talked about three. Am I seeing what Jesus saw? Looking into people with Holy Spirit vision. Am I... um, Asking and praying the way Jesus prayed. Am I feeling what Jesus felt? And here's the last one. Am I doing, doing what Jesus did? I get that from verse 35, just two words. Jesus went. Jesus went. He didn't stay idle. He went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness, signs, wonders, a proclamation and a demonstration of the gospel. I'm so thankful Jesus went. And I'm so thankful as a follower of Christ, our call is to go too. When Jesus walked the earth, he was constantly inviting people to follow him like he did for me that fall night when I was 18. But inherent in following Jesus is leaving behind what's old. Even in his lifetime, think about it. Mary was called to follow Jesus as a young teenage girl when the angel appeared to her and said, you're going to have a child and that child in you is the Messiah of the world. She had to leave behind her reputation and her comfortable or uncomfortable Nazareth life to say yes to that call. Peter left his nets to follow Jesus. Matthew left the tax collector booth to follow Jesus. Uh, Zacchaeus left a tree to follow Jesus in a comfortable, rich life. See, when we're called to follow, inherent in it is leaving behind what's comfortable. But that's where the adventure comes in. You know, Explore God is built on the premise that on the, the prayers of the followers of Christ alone, there are people who God is calling to himself, and he's gonna use you and me to reach them. And my question for you is, are you willing to follow Jesus and extend a hand, or like this weekend, extend a hug, extend some time, uh, invite to a group where they can explore the great questions of life, invite to church. Here's one, invite to your dinner table so that you can have conversation. I just believe kindness and hospitality is such a strong apologetic in today's age. So there it is. When we experience paradigm drift, what brings about a paradigm shift, I believe, is asking those four questions. Let me close with one other question, then we're going to wrap it up in prayer. What do you think is the greatest issue facing the world today? That's kind of a big question. Let me, let me narrow it. What's the greatest issue facing the Bay Area today? Let me narrow it even more. What's the greatest issue facing San Francisco where this church is located today? What's the greatest issue facing your neighborhood, your street today? Dallas Willard, who was uh, one of the greatest thinkers in my lifetime, 
said this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, it's whether those Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of God into every corner of human existence. I actually agree with him. I mean, you know, well, who am I? I mean, he's Dallas Willard, right? I'm just Gary Gadini. But, but I actually believe the greatest issue facing the world today is if Christians will be little Christs, which is what Christian means. If Christians will represent the King of Kings, if Christians will do what Jesus did, see what Jesus saw, feel what Jesus felt, pray like Jesus prayed. Will that be you? Will that be me? Your application today is not to try harder. Your application is actually to trust more. And I've got a dare for you, a double dog dare, a triple dog dare for you. I dare you in the next 30 days, it takes 30 days to start a habit, to begin your day with these prayers. Jesus, help me to see what you see. And Jesus, help me to feel what you feel. Jesus, help me to pray what you prayed. And then Jesus, help me to do what you did. Help me to go across the street, across the cubicle, across the schoolyard. Help me to go. I have a suspicion your life will never be the same. If you're going to live the word, friends, this is what it means. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I thank you for every person who calls Cornerstone home or every person that stumbled across this video. Lord, here we are. Send us. We long to join you, Jesus, in your rest restoration and redemption plans for this world. We love you. Thank you for doing that in us. And may the work you did in us be done through us to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One, two, three, four.
Lord, we want a heart like yours. We want it to burn on the inside. We want to have compassion. We want to love the things you love. We want to love people. We want to be able to be an extension. And that is always going to be something that's connected to what's going on inside of us. It's hard to give away what we don't have. <laughs> but a lot of times it's in the action of serving, the action of giving, the action of loving that Christ grows within us. So my prayer for all of you is that you remember how loved you are, how much God has given to make you free and how he wants us to live in that freedom with hearts on fire. May you be blessed and kept in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, yeah, and in your body. Even now I pray it in Jesus' name.